Okay, good morning. It is so good to see everybody. Let us carry on learning. We're, we're now addressing a very unusual and very special mitzvah, which is the mitzvah of Pidjan Aben. Just quickly, by a show of hands, who here has had the opportunity of doing Pidjan Aben? Okay, so we have a few. I, I myself, um, I myself am my first son as well, so um, I, I don't remember it very clearly myself, but nonetheless, it was uh, it, it is a twi- twice at least in my, uh, in my side, in direct experience. Um, and this is a very special mitzvah, a very special mitzvah. And most people don't know so much about it, and there are lots of very fascinating questions and permutations. And because you only usually get to have this maybe once in a lifetime, then, uh, then, th- then it happens to be that a lot of times you don't get a chance to study it, appreciate it, and understand some of the complicated permutations that relate to this as well. Let's deal with some of the nuts and bolts, and then, and then some of the, the ideas behind it as well. So, um, why is it... Oh, sorry, who needs to do the Bidjot Ben? Who is responsible? The Torah tells us... The the Shulchan Aruch says that it is it, it is a mitzvah for the father to redeem his son. So <clears throat> a person, a, a father who has a child, has the responsibility of redeeming that child from the age of a month um, old as well. It is unusual in the sense that uh, uh, unlike the bris milah, that when a father fails to do so, it falls upon the community. <coughs> when it comes to opinion Ben, that is not the case. It falls upon the person themselves but not until the stage that they're able to do so. So that means to say that let's say you have a situation where a father doesn't know, doesn't want, doesn't have money, whatever it is, and doesn't do the pigeon up ban, um, then the, the, there is a void. That, that, ch- that child will have a responsibility but until the age of 13, will not be able to carry that out. At the age of 13, that child will need to facilitate doing a pigeon up ban. It's not the most difficult um, procedure in the world. Um, it's, it's not talking out of Bruce Miller. So it is, it is possible to, to, to be done um, at, at such a stage, it falls incumbent upon a person. So who cannot do a pigeon aben is the more important question. And so there's a lot of people who are precluded from this, which is why it is less of a common mitzvah. So first is, is a girl, right? So meaning to say, so we cut out 50% of the population right there, because if the firstborn is a girl, there's no pigeon haben. It's only if there's a, if it's a ben first as well. So we're really at 50% of, 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 of firstborn, firstborns. Next is, is um, <clears throat> a child who is born to a Kohen or a Levi, but not just a Kohen or a Levi, even a Bas Kohen or a Bas Levi as well. Now again, it's hard to know what the percentages are. One of the sensei said that, uh, that, uh, that priests, the Kohen and Levim, account for 4% of the population. So again, if we knock it down again and exclude them, but it's not clear if that's referring to only the men in the Kohenim or the, or the Levim, but the, the, their children as all well will be precluded as well from opinion Aben. Um, more complicated situations are where, uh, um, where le- let's say we're dealing with a child who is born after a miscarriage. So let's say there is a, a miscarriage which happens and then there's a child, then there's a boy which is born that is not considered a petiras a, 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 a rechem, the beginning or the responsibility of a, of a uh, of a, uh, a pigeon aben. The responsibility does not kick in. How far along would that have to be? The way the Shulchan Aruch Paskins and what's, uh, what is uh, certainly Rav Shechta accepts as mainstream Allah, even though there are different approaches, is 40 days. So if, it, uh, which is generally, con- generally the moment beyond which it's moving from what the Gomorrah calls a stage of Maya Ba'alma, which is an expansion, uh, expanding biological mass of cells turning into the development of a child. It's pretty amazing, by the way, in, 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 in the biology. I was just reading about this. And I, I, when I was in high school, 
um, you had to make choices between subjects. So it was history or biology and physics, uh, and it was physics, I don't remember what the, what the alternative was, but I took the history track for some reason, so I missed biology. So I had to re-educate myself afterwards, and so it was like just amazing to, to, to study all these things and how a cell, which is identical to another cell, suddenly understands, <laughs> is activated in such a way that some of the coding is activated, that this will now become a cell of an organ versus the cell of a, um, of skin or muscle or how this will be the top or the bottom of the fetus. And it, there's this, this process is happening all the time as cells are being activated and now turned into specific different types of cells, even though they all started off the same. It's a remarkable process. So when, at which point in the process, when is that what's called, the, the Ramah calls Merukam, where, where there's, so to speak, form. So the Shulchan takes it that that's 40 days. So if it's an early term miscarriage, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't hit the radar. But if it's after then, then a child born after that would not be considered a, a, a peterechem, a, a son born after that as well. Another, which just uh, will, 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 will take a lot of people off the grid, is caesarean sections, so C-sections. If a child is born uh, not naturally, so not through the, the vaginal canal, but, through, but it has to be taken out, that child will not be, that child will not, will, uh, will not have a pigeon. And that's very common. That's very common. It'll just, uh, depending on the, the needs, the high-risk pregnancy, what's happening with the baby during labor, so there's a lot, of, a lot of reasons why a child may not have a pigeon aben. Some put it, uh, I, I've heard colloquially, at 7% of children would, would, so to speak, hit the, hit the, 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 the requirement of a pigeon aben, such a very low percentage in terms of the amount of children who might be, in, who might be involved in this. So be, being as that's the case, that's why it is that if you look around an average room, it's only a few hands that go up that when it comes to a pigeon aben, and, and it might just be one of the children, because remember, it's not just one person, meaning if you ask every person how many people actually did a pinyon aben, it's even lower than the people who have it in their family, right? Just because of the nature of, the nature of this as well. We so, went to, we went to century. What was that? We went to century. You went to century without yeah, a pinyon aben. There you go. Right. I know some Kohanim have waited a few centuries and just now, you know, it's been years. Uh, Dr. Honeyman. Corollary that I was in the key into the past era of it's the same thing with so long these people that what the fasting air phase up for Bakar, the same thing if they, if they were born after a uh, miscarriage. That's a really good question. I don't know if the Tainus Bechorim follows the same rules as the Pidjan Aben as well. I'm not sure as well. That's a very, very good question. I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I know, I, and I know, so I know that a lot of parents are fast or go to see him on Erepesa. I'm not sure if that's, if that's the same because there are different rules for Pidjan There's different rules for, for a Bechor. There's different what called areas in Halacha. There's also Bechor Lanachla, which does not follow the same rules as Pidjan Haben. Lockers as well. So just to, to understand that these the, these operates independently. I'm not sure the parallel to that as well. There might be good reason too, and I'll we'll get there in a second. Yes. So if the subject <clears throat> would know after 40 days, you do or you don't do it. That's a good. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, there, there, there is there is somewhat grayness in the halacha about what's called the, the stage of of rikum uh, as to we'll call it uh, uh, achieving form. Um, but these days, usually we're able to do, we're pretty, able, pretty accurate these days in terms of uh, knowing when and how and, and what stage. But, uh, but uh, nonetheless, it, 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 the, the Shulchan Aruch says, so it gives us the 40-day measure. And so it, 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 today, I found that generally speaking today, it's easier to know, to know that. Usually people talk in terms of weeks today. You know, how many weeks, how many weeks in? So 40, 40 days, we're talking about five weeks plus, right? You know, so at that, at that point in time. So... Um, so um, the, the, the question is, is when should it be done? This is one of the most complicated questions because the Torah tells us very explicitly that it should be mi ben, mi ben chodesh tifteh. 
that it should be from a month um, onwards to the pigeon our should be done. So the question is, what is a month? So some of the poets can assume a month means 30 days, which would mean that it would be the, therefore, um, if you're going to do it, it has to be the 30th day or plus the 30th day. So we'd say, the, let's say the 31st day. The problem is, is that many poets can also su- suggest that a month actually refers to the lunar cycle. How long is the lunar cycle? What was that? 29 days. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, the actual measure is 29 days, 12 hours, and 793 chalakim, right? So it's about 29 and a half days. That's how long it takes for the moon to orbit the earth, okay? Which is why it's always so complicated because how do you have half a day in the calendar? So that's why Rosh Chodesh oscillates in our fixed calendar between two days Rosh Chodesh and one day Rosh Chodesh. When it's one day Rosh Chodesh like this week, that means to say that the month is Chaser, that the month is 29 days, which means that we're really taking in Rosh Chodesh before the month, the, before the, lunar, the, the moon has made its full circuit. In day, times when we have um, two days Rosh Chodesh, it means the first day Rosh Chodesh is the last day of the month, which means we're adding on an extra 12 hours, and by the time we get to, to the second day Rosh Chodesh, the moon is already uh, completed its full orbit. There's no way to get a half day into the calendar. That's how, that, that's how our calendar works. When it comes to a pigeon aben, then the question is, is, well, you need to make sure that there's enough of a real full month. So you say, well, of course, isn't 30 days always, if I'm doing it on the 31st day, have I not automatically covered 29 days and 12 hours and change? And the answer is no. And that's so fascinating. Why? I'll give you an example. This example just happened recently to me. Here's the situation. Child is born Wednesday afternoon, 3.52 p.m. Mazel tov. Wonderful. Okay, so here we go. Wednesday afternoon baby. Now, by the way, it happens to be 3.52 is pre or post the sunset? Pre. pre, even in the deepest of winter, which is where we are at right now. So this is a, a Wednesday afternoon baby. How do you get to day 30? Day 30 is a very simple calculation. You count the day of birth and you, um, you count day 30, plus four weeks plus one day, right? So I actually, uh, uh, I, I have these printed out, but could somebody, could somebody give me a run, run to the printer for me? I'm sorry, I, I was just printing. I'm sorry, I would, I'd love to show everybody. Uh, this was like, thank you so much, Michael. Um, so uh, uh, so you, you fast forward four weeks and you turn to the next day, which is Thursday. Thursday would be the 30th day. It always sounds a little funny because you're like, why would the next day be 30? The, the answer is very simple. If you count the day itself, Wednesday is day one, right? So you get to day 28. When is day 28? On a Tuesday, right? Because the week is seven days. So day 29 is Wednesday. Day 30 is? Thursday. It always. Exactly. That's how. That, this is how. This is how it works. It always is one extra day, four weeks, and one day is thirty. Right. So we say, okay. So let's do post a month. Let's say it's the thirty-first day. So therefore, technically speaking, I should be able to do the pigeon I bed on Thursday night, right? Because Thursday night essentially is the beginning of the thirty-first day. I've now have thirty days. But if you do the 29, 29 days and twelve hours it'll turn out that the 12 hours actually really ends at 3.52 a.m. So Michael, I actually have the notes on the bottom there. Um, that, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going, I'm going to Stamper Lens right now. Um, uh, thank you so much. So, uh, so thank you so much. And the rest is actually over here. If you would, do, do you want to just pull up, hey, folks, can you, can you just tie this out a little bit? I was going to show the, the, the diagram on this one. I think it's just helpful to, to, to see. Um, take a look on, the, on page three. If you go on Thursday night, which is really the 31st day, you're actually still within 12, 29 days and 12 hours, if you actually count it, right? Because that 12 hours actually expires, it starts counting on Wednesday afternoon. Now it's true 
That day, the, the next day started half an hour later when the sun set, but that still is within the 29 hours, the 29 days and 12 hours of the, of the baby being born. Which means to say that the Thursday night would not be a full, we'll call lunar cycle, a lunar orbit later than when the baby was born. So the only way to really do it would be to do it on Friday morning. Which is why in Halacha you'll notice that pigeon abends are recommended to be done on the morning of the 31st onwards. Right? Because by that way you will always be out of the range of the, of the we'll call it the lunar cycle as well. And so it happens to be, so the, the, the question that was asked at this time is, Friday morning is really difficult. <laughs> and it happens to be it would not be alright to do on Thursday nights because that would not be within, <clears throat> that would be in, within the range of the lunar cycle. So what, what does one do in that situation? So the really, technically speaking, the best thing to do would be to have a Friday morning um, brunch or, morning, uh, or, 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 or breakfast. Failing to do so, one can certainly do it on Motzei Shabbos, but there is, but there is, there is a, you can't do it on Shabbos, you can't do uh, money exchanges on Shabbos. Um, but nonetheless, there is a mitzvah to do it earlier than later as well. Which is why, if you remember the time you've been re- uh, invited to a Pigeon Aben most recently, they're usually at an inconvenient time, right? <laughs> and, and that's part of the reason is because you try to do it as early as possible from the time that it's allowed the earliest. And it becomes difficult to do this. So if you remember these times, I remember weekday mornings and everybody's rushing and it's, it's very hard because of, because of, because of this it, in order to, to facilitate this. But it's important to visualize to be able to see how this works. This is actually, by the way, exa- this is an example which just happened. Um, um, Pigeon was just a week ago. So, yes. <clears throat> Yes, we'll get that in a second. We'll get that in a second. By the way, this happens, it happens a, a number of times. Now, who, who, so, so a, few, a few things. Yeah. I tell you a little secret. You want to make how many, 29 days and 12 hours after the... Uh, yeah, at least. At least. That's the ideal time. That's the ideal time. After, that, after the lunar cycle, after the month. Friday morning. Why is it Thursday? 29 days is Wednesday. So, no. So, <laughs> if you start, if you start, if you actually just pin it in on the, on the if you actually... It in the, on, the, on the calendar, and you actually count those 29 days from the time in the day, not the calendar day, right? Then it's 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 going to still overlap. It's still going to be Thursday night. If you actually count, uh, if you just count one day, meaning start, you would start the count on Thursday now, essentially, not Wednesday, because the baby was born on Thursday afternoon, right? So if you if you start, when you're right, but if you want to count the hours now, that really the first 24-hour cycle is going to only finish on Thursday afternoon at 3:52, so it's essentially a shorter day. That's if you want to do the calculation, okay? No, that's so why. That's why you're it's. Not counting, you're not counting Wednesday day one. You can't really because if you're counting 24-hour uh, circles, circuits, then uh, then you ca- it's going to be day one will end on the 3:52 Thursday afternoon, then through Friday 3:52, and it's going to come out that you're short. That's that. That's precisely the concern. Is the situation here? That's a great question because the problem is, is that the Torah uses not days over here, but it uses a yerach. It uses bin chodesh tifte. So when it comes to ben chodesh, it, it, the, the, the definition of chodesh may be different in this case as opposed to defining yom me ace la ace. It happens to be that in, when it comes to a bris, there is a time where we count me ace la ace, which is in that 24 cycle. And that is, is, let's say a child is sick. We didn't discuss this last week. But let's say a child is sick in a situation where they have to go to the NICU. Or, the, or we're not just talking about, you know, Billy Rubin's uh, got a high count. We're talking about, uh, you know, a, a, a serious situation here. And then the doctor says, uh, gives the green light and says, this baby's all right. The halacha is we wait seven days, but we may wait me ace la ace. 
That's a separate calculation. That's called not based on interpreting the psukim. That's that we, that we give a window to ensure that even though medically speaking this, this baby is viable for a bris, we give that time, which is why you'll remember later brises could sometimes be in mid-afternoon, right? And, the, and that, that, that's as a function of that 24 hours from the time the doctor gave the go-ahead plus seven days. Okay, so just uh, to understand that as well. Yeah, Dr. Hardiman, we haven't got so far yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This time, the 29 days, 12 hours and 7 hours of talking, that's an average. That's not the truth. You're right, you're right, you're right. conjunction could be 13 hours, 6 and a You're right. It does make it a little more complicated to start going out and measuring the moon every every month. You, you're, you're right. We, we deal with averages because it helps us, it helps us, uh, it helps us set, set our months as well. Dr. Only, you're right, you're right. But in the winter, it's <clears throat> moving faster around the, in the, in the, in the northern hemisphere, the earth is moving faster around the sun. You're right, <coughs> you are right, you're right. We have to, we have to deal with averages, or otherwise we, we will never be able to end on a chayim, right? And it's also the average person is not going to be able to do this, so we take that average, and the average proves correct, meaning to say over the course of the year, we will, that, that, that's the way we're doing it, but technically speaking, you are correct. Um, and again, also the Nitan Torah and the Malachi Ashares, we have to, we have to, in a human way as well, which is, your average person doesn't even know this, but we as Jews, are, this is something we can know. Um, so a few, other, a few other things. Kohanim, when it comes to who is the Kohanim it should be with, so there's a whole discussion. Like They say that the Vilna God redeemed himself five times in his lifetime. He was the firstborn, and he redeemed himself five times because he didn't trust the, the yichus of the Kohanim that he was, uh, he was dealing with. But that's not the accepted practice. That's not generally the way that things go. We find a Kohen who has who, 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 not got any claims on their yichus or their, their lifestyle. And, uh, and, and we, we, do a, we redeem. We're based on that Kohen. Um, uh, that, that's the best we can possibly do. If there are questions, then, you know, if there's questions about their yichus, if perhaps a Kohen, them or somebody in their family married a divorcee, these are questions on the yichus that shouldn't be done. That should be avoided. But failing such, if there's no no reason to question it, uh, the the assumption has been is there's enough there's enough grounds to be able to do this. Um, and and that's generally the the way the way it works as well. And there are some very uh, you know distinct kwanim, uh, distinguished kwanim who who do this many many times. It becomes their uh, their thing. Um, how much money do we need to do? So the Torah tells that it has to be five slime. That's that's the Torah. The, the, what we're told uh, based on the pasuk in. Parshas Bamidbar, which describes the, the interchange of the Kohanim and the Levian, five slime. Why is that? Rashi actually makes an observation that the reason is, is because that was what the price that they sold Yosef for. The brothers, when they sold Yosef down the river, they sold Yosef at such a, th- at such a price. And there's an element, Yosef was being a Bechor Li'imoy, the first child, firstborn for his mother. And so we, we replicate that. If you think about that, that is an element then of kapara of atonement that's that's being that's being sought out which is really really fascinating um as well um, um how um the, what does that turn into so uh, the shogunara actually explicitly says that this is um this is uh, silver which is 30 durham durham is a is a particular measure of of silver and um, the, the problem is it fluctuates over the over the centuries as to what that it precisely is is it 2.8 grams is it 3.2 grams it's a little bit of a gray area but assuming even let's say the most so 3.2 grams is, is and, the, and, the, and it happens to be there's 30 of them. So we talk about 96 grams of silver. And so it depends on the silver price. I checked, I, I checked last night on Friday, and that turns into $75 worth of silver today. So what, usually there's the, 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 there are coins, which are, which are uh, 
which are used. One needs to make sure that the silver coins are worth more than a today's silver price, which is $75. It's not, 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 not so hard to imagine that's the case. And the question is, who really has those? So technically speaking, the way it's supposed to work is dad is supposed to give money to the coin. But a lot of times you'll have the coin has got his set of coins, right? And he doesn't want to really part with his set of coins. Now, technically speaking, so what will he do? He'll give it as a gift to dad. Then dad will give the coin the, 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 it, it to them. Or perhaps another way it's arranged is the coin will sell it to dad. Right? So now the, the father has, has paid for the silver. He'll now give the silver back to, to, the, to, the, to, to, the, to the coin. And that will be the way, the way it works as well. Another possibility is you could go to some sophisticated Judaica stores and buy them at a good at a good at, at a good rate. And but even they're telling they're charging you more than the than the, than the thirty dirham uh, um, <laughs> market market value. But nonetheless, that's that's part of it as well. And one gives it. It's just funny because sometimes you'll have the dad say, you know, I spent so much money on this. You know, can I get it back? And the answer is no. <laughs> that's the point of the bidjad aben, right? So so if, if the coin decides to give you a gift, that's fine. But he's offering you a service. In the end of the day, so so you one's, one one should not expect to get one's money back when it comes to this as well. Um, but, but it has to be the certain benchmark, which is why it's worthwhile just doing a little bit of research on the current silver price, uh, silver price as well. Um, so the format is very interesting to anybody who's been at a at a, at a Pedro Naben, as opposed to most mitzvahs. It's actually a dialogue which is set up, and so the dialogue is in Aramaic. So just quickly looking at this at this dialogue. So the 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 person brings a, he, he, this this person says there is there Beni Bachari. So the father says, look, this is, uh, the, the Torah tells us, this is what we're supposed to, um, we're supposed to redeem our children. This is my firstborn to, 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 to my wife. And he has the Pesukim tell us this. So then the, the coin turns to him and says, my boy is Tfei, what do you want more? Do you want to give me the redemption value or do you want to keep, uh, or do you want me to take keep, uh, to have the child? So then uh, at this point in time, you know, there's all the guys at the back who are chuckling and say, sell him. So, you know, <laughs> it's always one of those. It's like, how, I always wondered, how long in marriage does it take to start making the cynical marriage jokes to the new Hassanim? It's like, Keep quiet. You've got problems in your marriage. Don't tell him jokes. Like you're right. So anyway, but like so, you have, you have all these people. Sell him, right? So the, at this point in time, there's the, the father says, says, So he says, I want to redeem my child. Here's the money as the Torah prescribes. And then there's a brach which is made on the pigeon aben, beautiful, beautiful. And there's a shechianu. And then the coin takes the money. And similar to what has become later on, the notion in kapara zeh tachazeh zeh chilov zeh zeh machulazeh, and the and uh, and the the coin waves the money above the child and says a birkas hagefen as well. Why the dialogue? Because it makes it seem as if there's a, an element of autonomy over the child that the father has. And in all honesty, it's not really true, right? And so the Pisgah Tshuva actually quotes this in Shulchan, he quotes the Chut HaShani, uh, Rav Bachrach, and he says that, uh, no, this is not, that's not the way it works. <laughs> you don't have a choice, yeah? You can't leave your child up for adoption. This is not the way it works. Um, the, the reason this is done is because this is a mitzvah which requires intent. It requires understanding what you're doing. And if a person should be, to be giving a gift to the Kohen and happens to be the child in the room, that does not suffice as a pigeon aben. So therefore, to, in edu to educate 
the father to educate those around that what's really going on is because the Torah told us, therefore it's set up in a dialogue because the father has to respond what the, he is doing so he knows what he's doing as well. That's what's understood as, uh, over here as well. It would be invalid if the, the father chose the other option as well. This is, the, the, this is what the, 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 the post can suggest as well. Why does the child not have a breast? This, is, this happens a number of times. So let's say I remember that in our shul, we had twins that were born. Um, and so the twins, the twins needed to be in the NICU, and uh, and they were they needed to they, and they needed to, to to gain enough weight for a breast. But guess what? The pigeon event came first. That's totally fine. It just has to be that it's only it's only baby A, baby <laughs> Aleph who gets uh, who gets the pigeon event because baby B does uh, is not does not warrant it. But there's been many times where a baby will have their pigeon event before they have their bris milah, and that's and that's uh, that, that's how it goes. It's just a little more difficult because you can't really invite people with the uh, name. <laughs> so it becomes a little more a, a little more interesting, but that's uh, totally. I've been to such a picture event as well. So it happens to be this is this is a, this is more complicated. Is is you know where and where and with whom you you know it, it is nice to have a minion and it's nice to have a surah's mitzvah. But if you need to do this and the baby's in the hospital, you can do it as long as the baby Baruch Hashem is viable. Meaning if the baby is, is stable, then you're able 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 to do this and you're able to do it in the hospital as well. One of the the big shalos which has come up recently, unfortunately, is the Israeli army. Is what happens if the father's not present, you know? So that's that's a very painful shaila. It's like the father can't be there for the pigeon abed. They let him. Off, they let him off for the bris miller, right? But but then this happens, right? I'm saying this happens. It has happened many, many, many times, unfortunately. And this is a shaila which has come up again and again and again and again in the Israeli army. And so the truth is that a, a father can be mashveshliach. A father can can uh, can designate a agent to do this on their behalf. Um, and there's a whole discussion as to who qualifies, but nonetheless, father does not technically need to be present, although it's his responsibility. Um, and so you'll have, you know, the, they'll, they'll do it on their behalf. The father will FaceTime in from Gaza, and and uh, or that's actually not, usually not from, from Gaza, but if if they're in a place where they can FaceTime, and uh, and th- that'll be the, the the situation, which leads us. Yeah, what was that? Oh, good question. Um, so if the father is not here, I'm trying to remember where's where's the shulchan aruch. I don't have the shulchan aruch here. Uh, and the Shulchan does talk about this case. I'm t- I, I don't, I don't, I don't remember if it's if it, it, it if it goes to the child and waits till later, or somebody else goes in their place. The father predeceases the, in the thirty oh, days. But what, if the father is, uh, if the baby's not there, it's not right. Yeah, and also if the baby's not there as well, it is possible. We don't know if it's better to do it with the in, in the in the place of the baby as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's situations as well where, where there's a child which went in for surgery, at open heart surgery at this time, and then the question is they can't access the baby. Can do the pigeon? Yes, they can. Such a situation as well. Although, obviously, all, all, all skies clear, one would want to be with a child as well. Um, when it gets down to the the reasoning behind this, there's a lot, a lot of reasons behind this. So the most famous reason, if anybody asks you why we do pigeon abem, the most famous reason, the most famous why. Is it takes us to end of Parshas Bamidbar, where the Torah tells us that the Levium are to, to replace the Bechorim, and there's a we'll call one to one redemption process. There happens to be more Bechorim than there are Levium. So, what do you do? So, you take the five Shkalim, the, the, the Torah tells us, of each of those Bechorim, and that is given as a donation, as a redemption for the, the we'll call the surplus. That's the way it's seen. Why is that done? Rashi tells us very simply is because when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai and the Israel misbehaved themselves, he calls out and he says, Mila Hashem Eli, and the natural leaders of every family, which should have been the firstborn sons, they should have been the ones to listen to the cry, did not, they did not respond. And it turned out to be the Leviim who did. So the Leviim now supplant the, 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 the Bechorim as, their, um, as, as, as the 
um, the redemption, and, and so to speak, as the as leadership. And the idea of the redemption is, in a certain sense, is a symbolic act to show that this firstborn could have, should have, would have been a leader, but yet does, is not. And the Levium now so to, to take that place in the Beis Hamikdash. That's the general understanding, which is. Um, which, which is given. The problem with that understanding is, what's the, the, the issue with this? What is that? What's the issue with this, 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 this theory? Rashi says this. What's the problem with this theory? <clears throat> problem is that the mitzvah of Pidur Aben appears in Pasha's bow, as before, meaning in Pasha's bow, in Shema's Yud Gimel, when B'nai Yisrael goes out called Kadesh Li Kol Bechor Petarechem B'nai Yisrael, Ba'adam Ba'adam Alihu. Right, that's it's in the it's in every every man's it's fill It's one of the four paragraphs in in tefillin. End of Pasha's bar, and at that point in time, the Bukharim did not not heed the call because the call hadn't been given until Pasha's Kisisa, which was really a, a, a at least a, a forty plus for forty days later. For sorry, forty nine and forty uh, forty days, eighty nine days later. Right, which is when the Mila Shemelai call happened. So you can't tell me that uh, that Pigeon Aben. Is as a function of the lost leadership of the of, of the Bukharim because they only did that later on, and the mitzvah was given beforehand. So the Sforan of very famous is the Ravavadia Sforan in his commentary on the Torah, both in Parshas Bo and in Parshas um, Bamidbar, make the observation, make, makes the observation that the reason why we do Petarechem of Pidgin Aben is not as a function of the lack of leadership. That was a one-time operation, meaning the, the, the firstborn children at the times of, the, of Moshe Rabbeinu didn't heed their calling, and therefore they were exchanged for the Levium, and the surplus were exchanged for the five Shkodim. That was a one-time event. But the reason why Pidjun Aben exists every generation from, the, for, from then till time immemorial is for another reason, and that is that at the time of Makas Bechoros, HaKadosh Baruch Hu releases an agency, a mashchis, which is which is now going through Egypt to destroy all firstborns. That was the and this agency would have killed the firstborns of Israel were it not for the fact that when Akash Baruch Hu gave the, the mitzvah to put the blood on the lintels and the doorposts of the houses, and Akash Baruch Hu Be'atzmoy stood stood there and prevented the mashkes from entering into the houses. In a certain sense, he took ownership over the Bukharim. He, he, he there, there's a certain kedusha based on that ownership. Hashem now, their lives are owed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for not having been killed like every other firstborn was killed in Egypt. That therefore, that ownership comes with a, a level of Kedusha. So there's a holiness which is imbued into every firstborn based on HaKadosh Baruch Hu's saving their lives. <clears throat> and uh, that being the case, that holiness needs to be redeemed, which means we're not for the pigeon Aben, it's not that this is about leadership at all. It's that there's a certain innate kedusha which is now expressed into this firstborn son. And if you were to not have a pidjon aben, he would be like a nazir. You had a person who had to be celibate, as, 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 as separate from this world, not involved in anything until such time as that kedusha is now given over to to, to the quiet as well. Yes, Yossi. Yes. It's exactly. That's precise. Exactly. Exactly. What's confusing is is the second exchange in Parshas by Midbar. That's where people go, and the, ma- and the money is described explicitly, which is what parallels what it is. So Sforna says, don't get confused, go back to Kadesh Li Kobachar. That's exactly what he's, what, he, what he's saying. It's precisely because it's Kedusha. That being the case, then you have to ask yourself a very good question, which is, why celebrate? 
Like meaning to say, like, shouldn't we like at this point in time, what you're essentially saying is this child is like Hektesh, he's like property of the uh, of the base of Mingdash. Um, and that being the case, we're going to take the the, mo- the money, exchange it, put the Kedusha on the money. The Koinez now has the rights of the, that holiness because that's a lot of times where the Matnas Kuna goes to of, of Kedusha, like Bikurim and so on. So if that's the case, then you should be sad. You should say like, okay, well, like, you know, we, we you know, this little, this little Ruvain had, had Kedusha, no longer has Kedusha. Why are we celebrating? Why is there a Surah Mitzvah? So actually, it's good. It's a good uh, uh, opportunity to take a look at the MS Liyak of Ragnarok Kamenetsky at the end of Pasha's Bar, where he quotes the Sephora and he says, "Yeah, but he says, but this speaks to the core of Judaism. When it, when you say in the non-Jewish world, in the secular world, how is it that that I'll create holiness? The answer is, is that I will do it by insulation and separation. So holiness is, is you know, I will I will be very holy in church, and uh, and I, I will." Not eat this and not go there. And the holy, holiest of peoples will be celibate until the church changes their minds, right? And like, and so, like, the, the, it, it's all separate from this world. Spirituality is seen as distinct from physicality, whereas Jews is is completely the opposite. We're 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 a material being, a vehicle which holds a soul, and somehow we have to succeed together. Somehow we have to elevate that soul together. The way Rav Nachman of Breslau says, some people eat in order to be able to learn Torah. I learn Torah in order to be able to eat. So it's like it's taking those physical activities and being able to do this. So when we have a child who's now not able to be involved in this world, that itself is seen as a lacking. So upon the redemption and the involvement, the ability of this child to now be involved in mundane activities and bring spirituality to them, that's seen as a simcha as well, which is fascinating, which is the reversal of the way the world looks at us as well. There are other reasons as well, which are really worthwhile um, thinking about. And actually, I I was really struck by this actually at... um, um, Rabbi Jason Strauss had a, a pigeon I a few years ago for his Bukhar Akiva, and he quoted this really remarkable correspondence, which I was not aware of, um, which I, th- I asked him for afterwards, which is, I thought was really fascinating. And this is, is, um, was a correspondence between Reverend James Walsh and Rabbi Soloveitchik. And uh, um, so he corresponded, he, he was actually, he was, uh, he was assigned to the Park Street Catholic Information Center in Boston, and he served there in the 1940s and 50s. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and uh, you know, Rav Soloveitchik himself didn't, he wasn't a fan of interfaith dialogues, public interfaith dialogues, but this fellow had a lot of questions for him, and so Rav Soloveitchik actually responded to him. So this, the, this particular letter was to Reverend James Walsh, um, and it, it's not dated, but it has to be in the, the early 50s or la- late 40s, um, where he responds about this, this idea of the firstborn. So take a look at this on page 7, I just thought it was really, really beautiful. He he acknowledges the receipt of the letter, and then he says, The standard ceremonial of the redemption of the firstborn on, on the son on the 31st day of, the, um, of, of his birth by the father, to which the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch refers to in Exodus 13, 13, Numbers 18, uh, 15, 16, and as follows. So he says, Only, uh, and, he, and he quotes the Hertz, the Hertz background. Um, and he says, Only against this background may we understand the institution and consecration of the redemption of the firstborn son. Children are the greatest and most precious charge. God is entrusted to man's custody without granting any property rights to them. Man, nilly, willy-nilly, must acknowledge this irrevocable, though bitter truth. He must be ready to lose everything if losing is what God demands. He must also always answer the call, summoning him to perform heroically the, moment, the movement of withdrawal from the most tightly knit natural community on earth, 
that of a father and son to retreat from positions which, which psychologically speaking, man lacks the courage to abandon because departure from these positions would mean to ordinary unredeemed persons self-displacement and existential uprootness. And now he hits the core of the issue, which is the offering of Isaac is exemplary of this type of sacrificial service of, uh, of God. Our Midrashic scholars maintained that God, when he commanded Abraham to take his son and offer him on the mountain, would not, um, did not will him to bring physical sacrifice consisting of blood, burnt fish, and, and fat. All he willed Abraham to do was to relinquish his son, whom he showered with love, that tore down all barriers separating two individuals um, beings and united them both in one existence. He wanted Abraham to abandon the pretense of possessiveness, all claims of unity and identity, all, 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 um, all, um, um, uh, all types of, or oh, sorry, um, I, I apologize, all hopes, hopes of self-perpetuation and immortalization <coughs> through um, Isaac and return him to whom he belongs. This sacrifice was to express itself not in extinction of the physical Isaac, nor in the separation of the child from its parents, nor the actual consecration of Isaac to the Lord within the framework of the temple service in the manner foreshadowing Hannah, sending Samuel to the Lord, but in the spiritual retreat of the father from his son for a short period of time. Abraham had to disengage himself for a while from his emotional involvement with his heir and son. Abraham made this, this movement of withdrawal from Isaac and Isaac was returned to him. A new gift was bestowed upon Abraham, or to be more exact, a new charge was placed on him in his trust at the Mount of Moriah. This is such a profound way of looking at the, at the Arcada. The Arcada is not the sacrifice of Isaac, but the recontextualization of Isaac. That's what Rasolechik is saying. Is it's not yours. He's not your possession. He's not something that you can do what, what, with, what, what, um, with him what you want. And by the way, it seems that that was the, the, the basic understanding of society in those days. If you understand, understand what is behind his child sacrifice, infanticide, which was very, very common in, in the Middle East in those days. If you read, and that's why the Torah has to emphasize multiple times, don't give your child to Molech. Molech was one of the, the Canaanite um, pagan deities. In fact, if you, if you, if they, when, they were re, when they were doing the archaeological digs at Carthage, right? So Carthage, one of the Phoenician cities now in, in the Lebanon area, they, had, they, they found many, many urns of ashes which were inscribed upon them MLK, New Ugaritic, not referring to Martin Luther King, but uh, to Molech, where they, they assumed that the ashes were children that, uh, that, that, that parents had sacrificed. Now, how could you possibly do that? The answer is, well, if a child is an asset, right? The child is an asset, and I need to make certain sacrifices to appease the gods in order for me to have success and you know, to be a boon in the fields and to be more children. I'm going to do what, I t what it takes because, after all, it's mine. I created this. What was the name of the first child born in the world? Cain. Why, 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 does, why does she call him Cain? She says, I can create. I've made somebody. It's mine. No, that's, that's not yours. That's, uh, Hashem says, wait a second. I allowed you, I gave you this biological process, fantastic, understand something of yeah, it's not yours, right? This does not belong to you. And that's what the Arcata was supposed to be. So every time there's a pigeon aben, there's a recreation of that in a certain sense, when you have to have that uncomfortable conversation, my boy is tveh, what do you really, really want over here? The, 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 what's supposed to be imbued is, is the fact that this is not yours, and you don't have the right to do with it, you don't have, it, it's, it's a lease, right? And you have the charge to make sure that it gets to a certain destination, but make sure you don't damage this. 
Make sure that this is this is not uh, this is not seen as something that you can bargain over overlook um, uh, uh, dispossess. This is not something that you have the rights on. That's what Dara Soloveitchik says. So in a certain sense, it's a, a grand sense of sacrifice or recontextualization of children. And that's and, and by the way, the world today takes that for granted to a large to a large extent. But this came from the Abrahamic moment of the arcade itself. On the flip side, if you want to actually go the opposite way, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, he quotes a post in Shaya, which is, Hasishkach isha privitna. That's what Akash Baruch Hu says. What, is, what does that mean? What, how, what, what's the, the idea behind that pasuk? Will a woman forget the child of a woman? Now, dads, um, you know, as, as important as dads think they are um, in, in, in the whole process, are, are, are less consequential in the whole birthing process um, and, and, and child raising process, unfortunately, because you don't really necessarily know who the father is without DNA testing, right? But the mom always knows who the baby is. The mom will always know. Says the says says Yishayel, Hasishkach isha pri, Will a woman forget the child that she bore? No. A woman will always know. This is my child. There's no way for her to forget. And that's seen as a metaphor for what? For Hakadosh Baruch Hu's relationship with us. Where Hakadosh Baruch Hu is the mother of Klal Yisrael. He'll never forget us, despite all the things that we do wrong. Despite all the, all, all the times we slam the door and we shout and all of the things we do in our teenage, so to speak, years of, of nationhood. That Hakash Baruch will always remember us. So, in a certain sense, says that says Ben that is what a pigeon Ben is as well. It's not the self sacrifice or the removal or the withdrawal of the parents to know that this child's not theirs. No, it's the opposite that Ben says. It's the acknowledgement that when I brought a child into this world, there's no going back. There's no, there's, this, is, this is a lifetime's, well, I won't say sentence, but responsibility. To, to, we're going to always worry, no matter if they're. Two years old, or 30, or 40, or 50 years old, we're still not going to sleep at night because we care about them. We're never going to forget. Our children will always be in our minds, in, in, in our consciousness as well. I remember there was a, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, it was such a striking scene in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the first one in the 19, when was it, 1960, 1959? When did it come out? 67. 60, okay, so in Sydney, uh, there was a young Sydney Poitier, right, remember? Um, and anyway, so it's just a very beautiful, a very beautiful, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a societal question, essentially. So there's a young, a, um, a young lady who grows up, I think, San Diego, is it? We ride some of the, some West Coast progressive space, and this and this young lady starts dating a uh, a young black man who's very accomplished. He's a doctor. He's a respected physician, and which is at that time was much harder to to, to 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 achieve. And she brings him home for dinner. And her father has been this progressive liberal who's been talking about all these ideas until his daughter brings back this fellow, um, which at this time you know a biracial couple. This is this is this is just. You know, not accepting. He's struggling with all his, we'll call it closet bigotry, right, is, is the way that he's accused. And then on the other hand, his family, this young man, this doctor's family, is, is, is also up in arms. A white girl? You, you, you. <laughs> and so and, and it's, this, it's this, this clash of cultures. So the father of this, of this doctor brings him in and he says, son, and he, the father was a mailman, and he says, son, do you know how many miles I carried that mailbag in the cold in order to put you through school? And now you go and you decide you're marrying this girl without telling us. And how could you do this to us? That was the father's observation. Do you know how many times your mother sacrificed getting a winter coat and, uh, and now you're doing this to us? And, and the boy responds, the son says, Dad, he says, I don't care if you had to carry that mailbag a million miles. The reason why you had to do that was because you brought me into this world. And as a father, you have the responsibility of looking after a child. Don't claim that as, uh, as emotional leverage. 
I was thinking, like, it was a very profound conversation. The problem was that the voices were mixed up. It should have been the other way around. The father should be saying, you know what, son? He says, uh, you know, I, I, I made a lot of sacrifice for you, but ultimately I, I was responsible to do that. And the son said, you know, dad, I know you're responsible, but I, I can't imagine the sacrifices you made. It's like shooting the other way around, right? We should be recognizing everybody else's point. That, that, that never happens in arguments like this. But if you think about it, that, what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is saying is that a father, a, a father, a father, a mother will have this, will call lifelong <coughs> responsibility, which they can never shake in a child. And that's what's happening at, at, at the Pigeon Aben as well. Is that, there's no way, there's no way to escape this. You come out from the hospital, all the fanfare, the balloons, the donuts, everything. And now at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> That's what happens. Is you now you you're, you're you're saddled with the, res with the incredible responsibility of parenthood, which is never going to go away as well. And we'll close close with the, with the idea of the the Sefer The Sefer says the Pedro Rabin is not the only time that we do, we deal with this. In fact, in any other element of success in life, we always give the first, right? Truma, Chala, Bikurim, it's even Bechorat, it's the same thing. Anything first we do. So this is the Sefer because human beings are very fast to say, Look at me, look what I did. So Gosh Baruch says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You make sure to, <laughs> you're going to dedicate the first to remind yourself that I, I gave you the license to succeed. I gave you the withdrawal. That door that opened when you didn't expect it, that was me too. Right, so Kodesh Baruch Hu reminds us, and the Pidron Abed is in part of that Ark. I think it's the most profound aspect of the Ark because it's the one that requires the most amount of effort, inv investment, and sacrifice. But it's, it's a reminder that even our own children are, are so to speak, with the, with the help of Kodesh Baruch Hu. So very, very profound mitzvah, lots of very interesting applications, Be'ezra Hashem. We should all have of being able to do this many times throughout the generations and being present there for our children, Be'ezra Be Hashem. Anyways, Yashar Kachachem, thank you so much for taking the time today, everybody.